Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally, not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. Welcome to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. This is Dr. Dan. Freedom Forum Radio is for you, faithful listeners, no matter who you voted for or what political party you belong to. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is not about politics. It's about principle. It's not about candidates. It's about conscience and the Constitution. Like the name implies, this is a program about freedom, individual freedom, your freedom, where it comes from, what it means to you, and most importantly, how to hang on to it. The legislative process is sometimes equated to the making of sausage. A lot of different parts go in, it's kind of a messy process, and out of the other end comes sausage, which we cook and we eat, and presumably enjoy. These days, the legislative process is making an awful lot of sausage. Unfortunately, a lot of what comes out is really not edible and certainly not enjoyable. It's therefore important that we take notice of what's happening during the legislative process so that we can understand it more. Most of the time, what happens in our state legislatures, and in this case specifically in the North Carolina legislature in Raleigh, is so arcane and so uh, indecipherable that common people don't really understand either the process or what bills are being considered and how they're being considered. You have to understand that we can have a part in the legislative process, and my guest is someone who's going to educate us in how that can happen. My guest is Michael Howe. Michael Howe has an interesting background. He has a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science and a Master of Public Administration, both from the University of North Florida in Jacksonville. In the 1990s, he was active in Republican Party politics in the state of Florida, and he actually held a seat on the executive committee of the state Republican Party in Florida. He also managed a few local political campaigns. Recently, however, he has become disenchanted with the GOP, and that led him to become an unaffiliated voter. He knows that a well-organized grassroots effort can serve to moderate the influence of money in politics. Now, that's something that he and I may have a little disagreement about, 
because I'm not sure that's as true as he think it, thinks it is. Nevertheless, he has become a single-issue advocate at this point, and that is an advocate for the Second Amendment. He states very clearly that without the Second Amendment, what remains in the Bill of Rights is merely ink on parchment. And he appreciates large advocacy groups like the NRA, the Gun Owners of America, the Second Amendment Foundation, and to that I would add GRNC in the state of North Carolina, who is also very active. And if you remember, we had Paul Vallone, the president and founder of GRNC on this program several months ago. So today, it is my pleasure to welcome Michael Howe. I'm really uh, honored and privileged to have you. You have a wealth of knowledge about what goes on in Raleigh. Uh, You have to understand, of course, that for those of us out here in western North Carolina, Raleigh is, uh, I think, in another time zone or maybe in a time warp. I don't know what people would say, but if you really think about it, most people out here think that, uh, according to Raleigh, we're in a separate uh, state. Everything west of Asheville is uh, probably not part of North Carolina, or they probably wish it weren't. In any event, you are in Raleigh for a lot of your life. I know you have uh, a home here in western North Carolina as well. But you've taken it upon yourself to become a watchdog of the North Carolina State Legislature. And you put out a newsletter on a regular basis that informs people what exactly is going on in Raleigh. And uh, as a result, we're going to call upon you to uh, educate us. We want to know what is going on in Raleigh and how does it go on in Raleigh. And so the first question I'd like to ask you to start our discussion is, tell us about the legislative process in North Carolina. I'm sure there's a lot of similarities between North Carolina and other states, but how does, a, how does it work? I mean, how do things get passed in the legislature in North Carolina? What is the process? Well, you are exactly right that the process can look rather messy, and it can be rather complicated. But in some ways, that's a good thing because if the General Assembly could pass laws on a whim, then I'm afraid that we would get a lot of laws that would be far less representative of the will of the people. And I really got into this focusing on gun rights because I firmly believe that apathy is the bane of liberty. And if we're not paying attention and offering input, to the way laws are made, then we're going to get laws that we really don't want to see. But essentially, a law starts out as a bill, and only members of the General Assembly can introduce a bill. Once they do so, it's filed with the principal clerk, and the principal clerk will assign it a bill number. Now, that bill gets referred to that number pretty much throughout the rest of the process. It's either a House bill or a Senate bill, depending on which house it originates in. Once it has a bill number, then during the daily session in what's called the introduction of bills and resolutions portion, the reading clerk will read the name of the bill, the sponsor, the bill number, and once he does so, this is said to have passed its first reading. So during the first reading, uh, they don't actually read the bill, is that correct? They just sort of said, we have this bill, its number is XYZ, and it concerns 
this subject? Is that what goes it, on? It's pretty much just a title. It goes rather quickly. And if you've ever watched any of the legislative uh, sessions when they're doing this, if there are a lot of bills, they will read them rather quickly. There's not that much to it. It isn't really that helpful. Anyone who wants to know what's in it is going to have to read the bill themselves. So that's how. So that's kind of how it starts off. And you said, interestingly enough, that only members of the assembly can introduce a bill, but I would assume that the members of the assembly have staff writers. They have people who present ideas to them, and somewhere along the way, someone actually crafts, writes the words down on the piece of paper. The representative is not necessarily a person that does that. Is that correct? Correct, and not only staff members, but there are advocacy groups that oftentimes will assist in crafting a bill. For example, you mentioned Grassroots North Carolina. They've done that uh, for some gun rights bills as well. But after a bill receives the first reading, then it has to be assigned to a committee. And that occurs with, for Senate bills, the chairman of the Senate Rules Committee, who currently is Senator Tim Moore, will assign uh, Senate bills, and the Speaker of the House, Tom Tillis, assigns to a House committee the House bills. And this is where they get studied, they get kicked around, they get looked at, they get discussed. And once that bill is brought to a committee hearing, then the sponsor will usually appear, explain the bill, and answer any questions to the members of that given committee. If it receives a favorable recommendation, and that would be a majority vote among that committee, then it's placed on the calendar for that specific House, whether the House of Representatives or the North Carolina Senate. Now, so, of course, well, let me ask you a question about the committees. I mean, obviously we hear of bills getting blocked in committees, lost in committees, uh, thrown in the wastebasket in committees, uh, so obviously that is kind of a roadblock in the process, if you want to call it a roadblock. Uh, how does that work? Well, it certainly can be. The chairperson of that particular committee has the authority to bring it forward. But the give and take that goes on in politics, for example, if you have senior members that want to see a specific bill pass committee or receive a hearing, then of course they may bring pressure to bear on the chairman to bring that bill forward. Or there may be lobbying groups, advocacy groups, or the public at large may be contacting the offices of the uh, legislative leadership in order to get some bill out of committee. So if, if they're determined, if the leadership's determined to hold up a bill in committee is the place to do it. You're listening to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. We have to take a quick commercial break, but more with Michael Howe right after this. So they can actually uh, block legislation that they don't feel is politically acceptable to them for one reason or another, uh, even if it's members of their own party that have proposed the legislation. So that really is kind of a, an area in which party politics and uh, all kinds of things can come to bear to determine what bills actually get considered. Is that, would you think that's true? Absolutely, and that's where I believe that a well-organized grassroots effort can moderate some of the impact of money, whether it's coming from special interest groups or wherever, simply because if there's overwhelming demand by the people, 
or enough representation that it appears that a majority of the people, whether through polling data or otherwise, then that can circumvent that to a great degree. Well, you know, uh, if I've heard that if you approach, uh, for instance, like Tom Tillis, and you say to him, look, we'd like this bill out, and he, he would say to you, well, you don't vote for me. You're not in my district. Uh, so is he immune to pressure from other people all over the state? I don't think so, simply because if enough members of his party who the members get to elect who's going to be the speaker, and if they bring enough pressure to bear, and it's obvious that that party is going to suffer at the next election because of some bill that is not passed or is not given uh, a vote, then I would argue that that can certainly change the course of a bill's uh, moving through the, through the committee. So, in other words, again, this to you is one of the key places where public pressure can have a significant effect, and that is to move bills through the committee. Are those committee's uh, hearings, are they open? Can you attend them? or How does that work? They are open to uh, public attendance. The, you can actually, through the General Assembly's website, subscribe to get email notices of committee hearings. And they will come out generally the day before the hearing and will announce what's, what bills are going to be reviewed during that committee hearing. And lobby groups will appear once the committee itself has debated the bill. Before they vote, they will see if there are any, anyone wishing to make public comment. And members of the public are welcome to do so. You simply have to state your name and who you represent. And, of course, someone in the public would just simply represent their own opinion. But you do get to the opportunity to do that. How much impact that ultimately has, no one can really say. But certain bills are obviously going to see a lot more people wanting to get in and, and speak. The recent uh, voter ID issue was one where we saw a lot of people lining up in the legislature trying to get in and address the committee on that, and a, a large number did. Well, what was the result of that? I mean... Do they? So you don't think you don't really know if it matters is basically what you're saying, uh, and I can understand that. But if you have a large members of the public there, a, a large number, and they're all voicing opinions, some of that has got to get through. Oh, absolutely. And a, an example at the congressional level, we saw who would have two two months ago who would have argued that the gun control bill that appeared in the Senate would not pass. But every amendment that, that was brought to try and get that bill through failed, and I submit it was because those people concerned about gun rights and their organizations, such as the NRA and the Gun Owners of America, brought enough pressure to bear on enough senators so that they did not pass that gun control bill. Well, that's good to know that if that really works, that that, that is a very positive thing. So let's get back to the committee here. Uh, so we have bills that are in a committee, and somehow they are brought brought out and discussed in the committee. Now, it's obvious that not every bill gets a hearing. Is that correct? That is true. 
So it's possible that some very good bills, for political reasons, are not brought into the committee. Is there any way to force a bill to be heard? The party leadership, the speaker, or the president pro temporary could compel a chair of a committee to bring a bill forward. But other than that, or grassroots pressure, no, not really, not a legal measure. So, in other words, if Tom Tillis decides he doesn't want to bring something forward, our only uh, avenue of pressure is to contact his office, to have as many people as possible contact their representatives and say, hey, we got this bill, why isn't it being heard? Is that basically what you're saying? Exactly, and that's what advocacy groups like Grassroots North Carolina do whenever they're trying to push a bill through a committee to get a vote. Okay, well, that sounds like something that we really should take note of, and I hope our listeners do take note of that. Uh, we certainly ought to use that more often. But the only way we really can do that is to know what's going on, and we're going to get to that later in the interview. But okay, so now the bill comes up to the committee. It has a hearing in the committee, and I guess amendments are proposed. They're voted up and voted down. And then at some point, the committee, at what we would hope, would take a vote what, what kind of a vote does it take to get a bill out of committee and actually into the chamber itself? That's simply a majority vote of the voting members present in that committee. And if they, if they pass it, then it receives a favorable recommendation and it goes forward to the full chamber of that, that particular house. It's put on the calendar so that this is then we want to have a floor debate. So when the reading clerk brings it up in the regular session, the presiding officer will recognize the sponsor of the bill. That uh, sponsor will speak briefly, explaining the bill, and then answer any questions that may be brought to bear. And then the, the House or the Senate will debate that bill. And at some point, when the debate concludes, they will vote on that bill. And if it passes then it is said to have passed its second reading. Now, in North Carolina, it must pass a third and final reading. That usually will take place shortly after, but it may not. If it's the end of the day, it could be held over to another session. But if it passes that third and final reading, then it can be sent to the other chamber, and the process starts all over again, where it has to go through the committee process in the other house. So, actually, a bill to be successful has to be voted in, has to be, receive a favorable vote first in the committee. Okay, if it, if it fails in the committee, it never gets to the chamber. So, it's got to get one vote in favor, or, or it has to get enough members to vote in favor to get it out of the committee onto the House. And then you actually, in order for it to have so said to have been passed, it has to be approved on three separate votes. Is that correct? Correct. And that's in both houses. But then it gets complicated again because many times a bill that may pass, pass one chamber could get amended during the uh, committee process and the floor debate in the other house. So if the other house then passes that bill but made changes to it through the amendment process, well, in order to pass the assembly, those both both those bills have to match. So what happens is is the presiding officers will assign members to be a part of a joint conference committee, and it's then their 
their job to hash out the differences until they get one unified version of the bill. It, well, it's, then, it's then considered by both houses, and if both houses pass it, then it can be enrolled. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. And people, I just love to hear that old man sing. Yeah, when I played the hoochie-coochie man I get joy in everything Everything, everything Everything gonna be alright this morning Hoochie-coochie